You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, everybody, this is In Liberty and Health, episode number four, and I am beyond thrilled to welcome my guest here, Spike Cohen. Spike, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Well, I, uh, as I told you off air, I really, really appreciate you coming on here, and I think everybody else is going to enjoy it too. So, um, you know, first question, I guess, who is Spike Cohen, and how did Spike Cohen get to where he is today? So, nice, uh, uh, easy startup question. No, actually, it is easy. It's just a long answer. So I'm going to give it as short of a version as I can. So I don't want to bore people with details. But hey, everybody, I'm Spike Cohen. Uh, I was the Libertarian Party's vice presidential candidate last year. We came in third. Thank you. Uh, and uh, and before that, I, uh, I had been a businessman. Uh, I started a business back in uh, the end of 1998, beginning of 1999, uh, right before my 17th birthday and uh, started a web design company and uh, ended up getting involved with multiple startups over the course of that time as well. Uh, I was able to retire four years ago. uh, And we'll actually talk about that because that's relative to the fitness stuff. I retired four years Mm -hmm. ago and and made a a very dramatic shift in my life away from worrying about making money. It reached a point where that didn't really matter as much anymore and into uh, making sure that I was actually fulfilling my life. Um, And that led me to the Liberty Movement. And uh, I've been active ever since. And uh, uh, I hope people like me because I'm just getting started. Nice, nice. Well, uh, I, you know, I was watching your videos and different interviews you've done all day today to kind of mentally prepare myself for this. And um, I guess one question I've never really heard addressed is um, you were at one point 100 pounds heavier, I think you said in an yes. interview. I, yep, yep. I cannot picture it. And I was 70 pounds heavier at one point, and people don't recognize me from there. So, yep. I, you know, I'm sure everybody knows you from your 2020 race. I don't think right. anybody could picture you 100 pounds heavier and you also dealt with ms so um you know as the latter part of the uh podcast title is health um kind of give a little bit more detail about that because like i said in all the interviews i've seen of you i've never heard you uh touch on that yeah i've briefly addressed it in passing and I, i'm sure someone at some point asked me a little bit more but i've never i was interested to do this uh podcast because talking specifically about the health and wellness aspect of it. I don't think I've ever really delved into it. So I think that's really cool. Um, So I'm probably actually only about, I probably was only about 80 pounds heavier than I am now. I had gotten down to where I was like 150, which was like too, it was too thin for me, but I was, I was touching 
uh, I was touching 250 for quite a while. Um, I was at the point where had I gained any more weight, I wouldn't have just been like fat. I would have been approaching morbidly obese. I'm sure I was already, you know, BMI well into obese, but like actually obese where people mm-hmm. are like, are you okay? Is everything, you know, it was more like just, oh yeah, that spike. He's, you know, he's a little bigger. I'm sure if people describe me, they're like, yeah, he's kind of, you know, that heavy guy over there. Um, and it's hard to picture that because pretty much all the photos you find of me are post that, you know, by the time I was doing my podcast in 2018, I had gotten down to, you know, 150s, 160s. Now, now I'm between like 160s and 170s, but it's where I want to be. And, um, I, so people don't really see that. And when they'll see a photo of me from that time, they're like, who the hell is that? Um, so it's kind of funny, but, um, yeah, what actually led me on that is kind of the same thing that that got me out of you know worrying about business anymore and getting more involved in in what my actual like finding a fulfillment and, and passion in life and it was my ms diagnosis um i had i was just young enough where my weight wasn't truly bothering me yet i was you know hypertension but kind of in that low level hypertension my cholesterol was worrying but i was young enough where they said you know you'll need to start working on that mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure I was probably close to pre-diabetic. There were a couple of times that my, my blood sugar numbers were definitely on the higher end, but um, never at the point where they were telling me to worry about it, but I'm sure I was touching it or would have been, mm-hmm. especially if I, you know, this was now four or five years ago, I'm sure that would have eventually come as well. Um, and uh, I was just young enough where I could kind of fool myself like, and I'd always tell myself, well, you know, you're focusing on work now, you can get this weight off later. Also, I did a lot of dancing and I stayed active. So I'm like, well, I can still get around okay. I, I should be fine. Um, when I was diagnosed with MS after the left, right side of my body went numb and uh, they, you know, that, that started a, a roughly two year process of them eventually telling me that I had MS. I, when I went to the doctor, you know, when I was at, I'm going to the doctors and they're telling me what my treatment options are. And they're talking about drugs. They're talking about, you know, drug treatments, which I'm on one. It has changed everything. It is a one of, if not the biggest part of why I'm stable, why I've been in remission for years now. So I'm not discounting that, but that's all they talked about. And I said, well, okay, great. Yeah. We got to do the drug, the immunomodulating drug and all of that. But is there not, is, this is an immune system thing. My immune system is acting funny. Is there not anything I could be doing differently? And really the only things that I heard from them were, you could lose a few pounds, but I mean, you, you could use a few pounds, you could use losing a few pounds anyway. Um, and, and when I went and saw a specialist, they mentioned the Mediterranean diet, which is strikingly similar to what I'm on now. But mm-hmm. for the most part, they were like, uh, there's not much different you could do, but you, you could use to lose weight. Well, it turns out they were wrong about not much else I could do. I'm actually on a very strict uh, dietary regimen and exercise regimen, but they were right. If my uh, brain is having interrupted or reduced or distorted signal to the rest of my body, then having a bunch of weight on me is only going to exacerbate all of that. The paresthesia, the, the, um, the, uh, the, um, you know, the, the, the problems with mobility, the problems with range of motion, all of that stuff is only going to be made worse if you're fat too. I mean, it was already, those things were already making my strength and range of motion and overall life well-being worse when my immune system was acting normally. So clearly that was a good thing to do. And, and, you know, for a long time, I didn't really take it seriously because I felt like I was okay. 
my doctors were saying, yeah, this is something you'll definitely need to start worrying about later. Um, and I'm married to like the most gorgeous woman ever. So I wasn't even worried about, and she loves me. So I wasn't yeah. even all that worried about impressing girls. Right. Like there were, I had no mm -hmm. real, like there was, I wanted to lose the weight, but there was nothing really pushing me. The MS pushed me. Right. So you were kind of complacent and I don't mean that in a yes. derogatory way. No, but, no, no. You know, I was you, very complacent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you get comfortable and I was at that point, one point as well. And, you know, you oftentimes do hear of people getting prescribed medications and say, oh, well, you know, you could maybe do this, do that, you know, lose a few pounds, you might get a little bit better. But I don't think anybody realizes how much, you know, just maybe going for walks. Um, I talked about this on a video yeah. I published about a week or so ago. And Stan Efferding, who's the world's strongest bodybuilder, had talked about this a lot with his clients, that 10 minute walks after meals are actually twice as effective for lowering blood sugar and uh, glucose than uh, metformin, which you never hear your doctors tell you really? about that. Yep. So, wow. And it's it's great for so many different things. So, you know, post meal, it helps with digestion because you're going to help move blood all throughout move your body. Yeah. Right, right. So, but you never hear that. They just say, oh, well, we'll put you on metformin. We'll give you a statin, um, you know, I eat less, move more. Well, my problem with the whole eat less, move more thing is that you could tell people that and you can shout caloric deficit in their face, but they don't understand what that looks like. They don't understand right. what a healthier diet looks like or what changing your lifestyle to be healthier looks like. And it sounds like you figured exactly. that out pretty well. Yeah, no, and that's the thing, man. That I, Kyle, part part of the problem is that a lot of these doctors. I, I spoke with a doctor once, and I said, "How much do you learn about nutrition?" And they said, "We get a few hours here and there yep. in training, and and we'll get updates." Some of the pharmaceutical companies, oddly enough, it's the pharmaceutical companies. We'll let we'll give them some like additional. They'll do like an additional free on ongoing continuing education training about nutrition, so they have a basic understanding, and they can combine that with their overall medical knowledge of the body and how it works. So mm -hmm. they have some understanding, and I, I would imagine the average doctor probably has at least a little bit more understanding of nutrition than just the average person, average layperson does. But they're not experts in it, and, mm -hmm. but they should be. Um, especially like a, gen, a GP or something like that, they should be. My GP actually is. Uh, I actually chose her based on the fact that she was much more holistic in the way mm -hmm. that she uh, looks at things. And that's been incredibly helpful because if your body is the, the sum of everything you're consuming, not just mm -hmm. the food you're consuming, but the you know, sunlight or lack thereof yes. that you're consuming, the toxins you're consuming, the the interpersonal relationships you're consuming, the media you're consuming, mm -hmm. you, everything that is is going into your body and coming out of your body is is it, it results in what your overall health is. Not addressing all of those things and instead focusing on pills. Obviously, it's easier. It's insurance approved because it's something they can point at and say, yes, this is mm -hmm. something we will approve the, the payment for. And I mean, we could have an entire uh, hour plus long conversation on how insurance has incentivized moving away from wellness and towards just the, the pillifying of, of our health and well-being, which doesn't mm -hmm. work um, or, or at best is just a bunch of Band-Aids. Um, and, and so as a result of it, people are walking around, they're getting terrible advice. I, I met someone who... Um, was told they were diabetic to type two diabetes, mostly due to, um, to size, to, to, to high BMI. And they were told that they should eat uh, um, less fat and more vegetables. And the vegetables that they were given as examples were corn and potatoes. This is a medical doctor 
telling someone now this is a very egregious example but this is a medical doctor mm -hmm. telling someone get less fat and protein and more base carbs and that will help your diabetes and surprisingly that person uh didn't do well with that and i, I said to them didn't they say less carbs and and more protein oh no 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 they said less meat that it, meat was making me fat and that the fat was making me diabetic and i said well not only is that not true, but carbs are what turn into sugar. And so I had to actually explain it. Of course, they were, uh, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but they, yeah, they actually didn't believe me at first because their doctor told them this. So I'm showing them actual videos. And I'm like, listen, this isn't me. I'm some conspiracy theorist. First of all, I'm the guy that lost 100 pounds at that point. But also, uh, you know, that's actually not true. Like here's actually, this isn't like tinfoil hat stuff. You were just flat out told something that wasn't true, but that doctor thought it was true. More importantly, the doctor was saying that the most important thing they could do was you mentioned metformin, take metformin. And if that mm -hmm. doesn't work, we may have to graduate you to a fast acting insulin Yep, because that's what they know how to do. And, you know, it's a major problem because I think some of it is also that doctors realize that most of us are complacent and it's easier to tell someone take this twice a day or take this once a week or take this every day instead of saying you should work out more, you should eat better, mm -hmm. you know, here, you should watch your macros, you should do this and do that. Most people are like, no, just give me a thing to take. So I think that's it too. I think it's a laziness issue or even maybe not laziness as much as I think complacency is a better word. I was so busy. I didn't have I didn't have time. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. I didn't have time not to do it. But I, in my mind, I didn't have time to do it. When you're up to your neck with work and bills and debt and you know your, your life stress and worries, that's the first thing that goes on the chopping block, even though that's what makes everything else worse if you, if you don't address that. Right. So, you know, people look at the way that I eat and I ate a carnivore diet for about two years and I've since gone off that because I lost 50 pounds and got into great shape. Um, right. Kind of tackling onto what you were saying there. I didn't realize how bad I felt until I realized how good I could actually feel. Yes. Um, and that's so important. And to think that a doctor would tell somebody eat more corn and potatoes instead of <laughs> healthy fats which could even be some saturated fats even though people like to vilify those i think those are perfectly healthy um because they contain a lot of protein iron and a lot of necessary nutrients um upping your protein take would perhaps be one of the most important things that i think anybody in regards to their diet could do because protein has been proven over and over again in a lot of studies to be the most satiating macronutrient um there's a study yeah. done where women who were given protein snacks versus just carbs or fat snacks actually had ate less throughout the day because of the protein content and protein has the highest thermic effect of food so if you eat 10 calories of protein about three of those calories are going to be burned off just from digesting it so yep. you know that's a little bit of a tangent on protein but um yeah yep, yep. when when it comes to diet i think protein is perhaps the most important macro of them all so you know, doctors should be prescribing a little bit more lifestyle stuff. Like, you know, if you have an excessively high BMI, you're pre-diabetic, diabetic, or whatever, say, hey, well, why don't we just try to get you to maybe walk just 10 minutes a day? You don't have to go crazy because yeah, a lot of people yeah. want to diet themselves right off a cliff. They want to go do an hour cardio in the morning. They want to work out two times a day. Yeah. They want to eat, you know, absolutely zero carbs and you know just try to lose the weight as fast as possible well how long are you going to sustain that you're not going to be able to sustain exactly. that for very long because it's not a, a, an effective lifestyle change that you can do every day if you could just walk maybe try to get a little bit more protein in and then build your way up to those lifestyle habits then you'll see long-lasting change and i especially exactly. think after this last year well year and a half of being <laughs> locked in your home and being told that you know oh, well you know the germ's going to come and kill you 
everybody should take their health seriously. And we clearly know there is no argument to be had here that people who are healthier see better outcomes with COVID. Oh, easily. I want to go back to the protein thing because I feel like you didn't rant long enough about protein. (laughs) Uh, No, no, seriously. I'm a big, so protein is is satiating. Uh, Mm -hmm. It takes, like you said, it takes more just to even process it. Uh, it makes you more it, it, satiating. It keeps you. It keeps you not hungry for longer. Another mm-hmm. cool thing is if you're eating protein and it's more natural, not just like as a protein uh, yep. a supplement or something. But if you're eating things like meat, legumes, they usually also have a good amount of fat in them, mm-hmm. and fat. Uh, is also satiating, but it also slows the absorption of glucose. So if you eat it, you know, most people are not going to eat a carnivore diet, they're going to eat a a diet that's a mixture of protein and fat and carbs. Well, that slows down the absorption of the carbs as well. So whether you're diabetic, pre diabetic, or, 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 or not diabetic at all, that it still is is reducing those big spikes and lows Mm -hmm. of uh, glucose, which by the way, as a side note here to that, when I started eating better and my diet is a sort of a different is a hybrid between two popular diets for people with MS, the walls protocol and overcoming MS. And, um, it is basically, I took those diets and whatever this allowed and this didn't allow, I took it off. So it's a very highly restrictive diet. Uh, and I also dived into dove into the, the requirements. Like you have to have six to 10 cups of vegetables and things like that. And it's more than just the diet. It's a bunch of other things too. But the, um, when I started eating that way, I had been dealing with anxiety and depression pretty Mm -hmm. much my whole life. And I still very much have an obsessive personality. For example, I thought I'd dabble in politics a couple of years ago. And now look at me. Um, But the anxiety and depression almost completely melted away when I started eating better and working out more. And really it was the eating better part first, because when I started doing this, I was dealing with about a relapse every, um, every month and a half to two months. And I was also dealing with having to take steroid uh, and, and not, you know, like, anabolic steroids where you feel great, but um, like, you know, uh, IV prednisolone, uh, a gram a day and feeling basically like I was in menopause in between those things. I felt like garbage. I honestly wasn't working out much at that time. I was Mm -hmm. just eating better and the weight was coming off, but I also started feeling better. Even in the midst of this crisis of, you know, rediscovering what it was going to be like living with this really bad chronic illness that at that point was felt like I didn't have much time left. I felt better. I actually was in a better mood then than I was before all of it. And I realized it was because a big part of it was because, um, well, first of all, I was focusing on myself instead of constantly just trying to make money. But I think a big part of it was my body was no longer having to deal with these ebbs and flows, big spikes mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of, of sugar and, and, and carbs. And what's funny is every once in a while, someone will make me like a, a, like a, a, uh, like a dessert that uh, complies with my diet. Uh, and it'll be higher in carbs than I usually eat. So it'll mm-hmm. be like some fudge or something like that. And I'll eat it. And inevitably I'll feel that kind of like rushing from the sugar that I'm not used to for like an hour or so, but I know it's coming, but I realized that's how it always was. That's how I was always mm-hmm. having these kind of like, high, and not connecting it to what I was eating. And yes, for COVID, if you're obese, that is, that is has almost as high of a correlation to whether or not you'll end up in the hospital or, or dead or have a major you know illness of COVID 
as age is. In fact, for younger people, mm-hmm. it's actually more so, you know, the difference between being 30 and 40 is far less of a difference than the difference between, you know, a, a good BMI and a, a overweight or obese BMI. So for younger people, it's, it's crucial. If you, you know, we're talking about ways to reduce your likelihood of hospitalization and they talk about things like vaccines and stuff, and that's fine. But there's something you can do that doesn't involve uh, taking a vaccine mm-hmm. and it's just living a better life. And we already know the side effects of eating better and working out more. <laughs> Everything's better that, that we know mm-hmm. those side effects. The, the adverse reaction is that you live a better life and, are, you know, look better and feel better and everything else. Right. And the one thing that's actually not talked about that um, goes to your point is that actually vaccines are more effective in people who are more healthy. So if you want to go down that road, then your antibody response is actually better. And if we're worried about stopping the spread, as we so profess that we are, then you have a lower viral load when you're healthy because you... um, you don't generate you don't generate so much of a viral load because you're more healthy you right you don't get exactly. so sick so you're less likely to spread it when you're healthier and you know of course this has been completely absent from the dialogue there have been some people that talked about it but you don't hear from the mainstream media and i think that in and of itself is a crime absolutely and here's the other thing most of the people when they're dying from or pretty much everyone when they're dying from COVID or they have a really bad case of COVID, a really you know extreme case, it's actually their immune system reacting to the mm-hmm. COVID and the viral load. So part of that is the viral load, but part of it is also your immune system being screwed up. And I say this as someone with MS, when you, my immune system now is acting relatively normally because of a combination of an an immunomodulator that weakens one part of my immune system and strengthens the other part to offset the weakening of this part. But also the fact that my immune system is working better because I'm eating fermented foods, which means that my gut health is better. Mm -hmm. I'm staying away from the types of foods that ruin your gut health. I'm staying away from the types of food that cause uh, spikes in your glucose level, which lead to you being anxious and nervous, and which also cause problems with your immune system when you're constantly high stress and high anxiety. Like, all of these things. And, and yes, BMI is directly related to immune health, not just not getting sick as often, but also what, how your body responds when you do get sick, not having this, mm-hmm. what is it called? Cytokine storm where yeah. your immune system just goes haywire attacking everything in your body uh, in order to fight the virus off. Um, this is a perfect example of, you know, and, and I, I don't think there's anyone out there disputing that it's important that, that getting healthy will make you be better, do better overall. But in a time when they're talking about mandating whether or not you're able to work based on a vaccine, because it's so crucial that people are, you know, in the best health possible to be able to not get COVID, or at the very least, if they do get COVID, you know, not end up in the hospital or sick or dead, which this are, that's a, a understandable concern to have. Why are we not even discussing vitamin D? Right. When we know that vitamin D levels are directly corollary to whether or not you end up in the hospital or not, or why, why are we not talking about BMI? These are things that wouldn't even have to be mandated. If you went out and told people, Hey, you know, why don't you take some time to, you know, work out a little bit more and eat a little bit better and take some vitamin D supplement or, or, you know, get out in the sun. Well, I guess now it's getting colder, but you know, during mm-hmm. the summer, especially, you know, get out in the sun for 20, 30 minutes a day on and, 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 and get that natural vitamin D. Why aren't we even discussing that? You know, forget mandating it or whatever why aren't we even just mentioning it they know it's true so why not say it right and have you ever seen be outside on a nice day pissed off or miserable you never do because oh, it's hard right yeah the vitamin d and the sun and just that environment of being outside does make you feel better 
So, and the other thing that actually goes into your outcome with COVID actually can sometimes come down to whether or not you think you will beat it or not. There's been plenty of studies on this as well, that um, if you feel like you're going to beat something, the placebo effect can't actually alter the way that you deal with something. Like there's a um, leptin and ghrelin or, um, you know, two hormones that deal with satiety. And there was a... uh, study done they told one group of people that they had high leptin and one group had high leptin and one group didn't well the group who didn't just because they told them they had higher leptin and i might be mixing these up but regardless their leptin levels were actually 20 percent higher because of the placebo effect that's incredible and by the way leptin and growing are why you should be carb cycling but that's a whole other subject anyway um (laughs) i know that's off topic but yeah Yeah. every time i hear that i'm like that's why going only keto actually long term isn't helpful anyway right uh uh i i i rant a lot about this stuff but uh i don't usually do it in podcasts so here's my opportunity um (laughs) but uh yeah i mean there's a reason that they do double blind studies on Mm -hmm. drugs before they decide whether or not they're effective or not right not and by the way double blind for those who don't know what that means it means not only does the patient not know if they're getting the placebo Mm -hmm. or the actual drug the person administering it doesn't know whether they're getting the placebo or the drug they don't even want them to possibly be doing or saying anything no margin of error off the nothing they not only do they not want the patient to flat out know whether they're getting it or not they don't want the patient to even possibly get some kind of subtle cue from the person who's giving it Mm -hmm. to them that might make them go oh i bet it's the real stuff or oh i bet this is just a placebo or whatever Mm -hmm. And I mean, the placebo effect is very, very real, mm-hmm. except for the vaccines. Vaccines, there, there, you know, there is no placebo effect, but specifically the COVID vaccine. Everything mm-hmm. else, the placebo effect is real, but not with the COVID vaccine. <laughs> yeah, and I really think that some people underestimate that. Um, you know, you have to kind of believe in yourself that you're going to have to get through things. Um, my mother had cancer three times, and God bless her, she survived it all. But I'm sure, you know, she never sat there and bitched and said, oh, what was me? She went to work and she worked her ass off and she lugged on through, you know, but, you know, I guarantee you she wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And a lot of survivors probably have the same sentiment. You know, every person I've known that's had cancer or some kind of fatal illness, you typically don't hear those people down in the muck. These people are just they want to keep going because honestly, you know, what's your other option? lay down and die. That don't sound like a good life to me. That was where I was. And obviously there are times where it doesn't matter what your outlook is. It doesn't matter how good you feel or whatever you're it's, you you know, uh, I'm sure Bob Ross, you know, as good of a mood as he was in all the time and as happy as he was, his cancer was so aggressive. It was going to kill him. Um, you know, and also on the other side, there are people that no matter how negative they are, the illness wasn't that severe to begin with. But clearly, Mm -hmm. there is a correlation between your attitude, your mood, how you choose to address it. Um, Not just saying, well, I'm going to beat this, but actually building a plan to try to beat it or try to have the best outcome as possible. That's what I did. I mean, I, I, when I was faced with this, and I was told, you know, we don't know how many years you're, you'll be able to walk, you'll be able to talk, you'll be able to see, you'll be able to you know, uh, be able to, I mean, a, a longer term MS can affect your cognitive abilities and things like that, you know, and I was having a really bad aggressive case of it, you know, the average person with MS gets, uh, I think, one relapse a year without uh, a medical intervention, that's like an average, like 0.9 per year or something like that. And I was getting one every like couple of months. 
and uh, uh, it was scary. And, you know, for those who don't know, a relapse is you have an attack um, where uh, some kind of neurological attack where some kind of new symptoms emerge or existing symptoms greatly worsen dramatically. And then over the course of several, usually months or weeks, uh, you find out just how much you know, it slowly kind of work, uh, gets better over time. But like, for example, for my first relapse, I still have like a sandpapery feeling in this hand. And there mm -hmm. are some times where it's barely there. Other times where it's really intense, especially if I've been using my arm or hand a lot that day, um, I'll, I'll feel it a lot more. You know, every time that was happening, it was a new scar on my brain and spinal cord, but also new manifestation of symptoms and the stress that causes. Um, and I was determined that I was going to be able to live my life as I wanted to, as long as I possibly could. And I also re-geared myself towards if my entire life as my entire adulthood and even part of my, my teenage years have been spent chasing money and that's no longer a major concern now, you know, I was, I was focused on, I'm going to become a billionaire. And then I thought, but how important is that if you end up a billionaire that can't do anything? Like, what does that even mean? Um, if instead, what if you can live a life where you can now devote your life to service and to keep taking care of yourself, being kind to yourself, being kind to others, uh, and, and trying to help others and help yourself, you know, what will that look like? And that, that's what I've done so far. And I, I, I am now the happiest I've been here. Well, I'm the healthiest I've been here and the healthiest I've been, at least in my adult life. Um, I'm more active now than I've ever been in my, the last time I was this active, I was probably like, you know, 13 or 14 in terms of being able to run around and do stuff far more so than, than I was even 10, you know, even 10 years ago. Right. That's awesome to hear. I'm very, very happy for you that you're uh, doing well and, you know, kicking ass and taking names, um, shifting to another realm where you kick ass. And <laughs> this is a uh, slightly more, I don't want to say grim thing, but a, a subject I wanted to touch on because I know I only got you for a little bit. Um, sure. We'll kind of blow through these. Um, I had the question of what would you have done in retrospect for 2020? And um, just before we get into that, um, all your diet talk, I'm actually very, very excited that we could kind of breeze through that. And I think a lot of other people will be too, because, you know, I'm sure you don't get to talk about that a lot because everyone wants to talk yeah. about stuff like this. So. Right, right, right. Um, so what you're saying, like, what well, if had I been in the White House, what would I have done when when COVID? Well, during whatever. I'm sorry, I'm during campaigning, looking back at your campaign throughout 2020, what would you have done differently? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. uh, so biggest thing I think I would have done differently um, is in the first, uh, in the first couple months of the campaign. And because of the way that our, we do things, uh, we pick our candidates the end of May. Uh, which mm -hmm. gives us essentially five months to run for office. Um, uh, and uh, so a couple months is a big deal. Right. Um, the first couple months when I would uh, do interviews, when I would do appearances and stuff like that, I would desperate, I would try to, uh, when I would be asked a question, I would desperately try to parlay it into this greater conversation about libertarian ethic and thought on everything. And I realized that, that's not how most people think. Yes, I do want to bring people into libertarianism and have them learn the entire thing, not just what they're concerned about. But that's a longer process than something you can do in an interview. Um, you know, what's important is focusing on the things that people were talking about and staying focused on it. And once you can bring them in and get more support from them, then you can have that longer conversation long term. And that's sort of what I'm doing now. But 
uh, I, I learned coming into the summer, I learned that I needed to, by about middle, sum, middle of the summer, uh, I learned that I really needed to focus on, you know, what people were mostly concerned about, which was the lockdowns, COVID, uh, the, the possibility of, you know, mandates and things like that in the future, uh, joblessness, pr pretty much everything that was happening due to the lockdowns, the joblessness, the hopelessness, the higher suicide rates, the higher addiction rates, all of that. And then uh, also things like police brutality, protests, riots, how to deal with that kind of thing. That's what people were talking about. And I found once I was more focused on that uh, than I would have, uh, that I was getting more uh, attention that was actually like sticking when I started doing that um, and, and, you know, kind of engaging people more on the things they were talking about. Um, what else? Um, I, I can't say I didn't leave everything on the court uh, because uh, especially in that last month, I was in like two States a day and uh, I was kind of everywhere doing as much as I could mm -hmm. and doing interviews in between. So, I mean, I, I would wake up at, uh, especially that last two or three months, I'd wake up, you know, three, four in the morning, go to bed midnight, one o'clock. Um, and I really didn't have to do working out during that time because I was mm -hmm. literally running around <laughs> and walking around and, you know, yeah. helping, helping set up stuff. And everything. I was, I was about as active as I've been. I actually lost weight on the campaign trail. Wow. Um, so, uh, but I, I, I think the biggest thing was the, the messaging discipline was probably um, something I had to learn a couple months in and, and retool to that. And unfortunately the overall campaign theme and I had little control of the overall campaign mm -hmm. communication. I could really only control what I said was that, you know, talk about an idea and then try to spread it out to the whole libertarian thing. And that's, that's just not, people aren't there. You know, if they ask you about the border crisis, you talk about the border crisis and how to deal with that, or you talk about COVID or you deal, you don't talk about every, you don't say, well, here is why this is a problem with the way government does things and how libertarians think about it. it people don't, that's it's true what we're saying but people don't think that way and it makes it feel like you're changing the subject well we uh, we are it makes it feel like you're trying to uh not talk about that thing and mm -hmm. that you're trying to distract and even though we're not that's what it looks like to someone who said i don't ask you about all this other philosophical stuff i asked you about the border crisis or about COVID or about whatever and you have to really hyper focus on those things right so it's essentially kind of meeting people where they're at um, yes Yep. As of like the last six months, you know, you've really blown up and I've seen, you know, you come out on some social media stuff and say like, look, the messaging in the campaign, whenever you felt like it wasn't on point, you said, you know, hey, this might have been my social media team, but this was on me to make sure that this didn't happen. And I have to say, I really, really respect that, that you came out and said, look, even though this may not have been me personally that said this, I still have to own my whole team because this is, you know, once again, my platform. And if they're running under my name, then I, you know, just the leadership aspect is something very admirable. And clearly that's absent from <laughs> a lot of leaders today. It's my name. Mm -hmm. It says Spike Cohen. And if I, and, and, and I have people that I've picked to help with that. And if they put something out that doesn't line up with what I said, that's my fault for not having the controls in place. Cause it's literally my name. It would be like, if I said, Hey, you use my voice box and move my mouth. And then they have me say something like, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> like you, you have to take ownership of it. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so that's what I did. Now I will say the, those 
you, there were a couple moments that were more egregious than others, but I can count on one hand the number of times that my that that something was put out in my name that I just vehemently disagree with. And maybe a couple other times that things were put out and said mm-hmm. in a way I wouldn't have said it. But that that isn't as big of a deal as the times that they just said stuff that I'm like I don't agree with this. This doesn't I don't believe any of this. Um, that happened maybe you know two or three times, but that was my fault. I didn't. I had gone from where I was in total control of my social media, I was the only one doing it, to being so busy that I barely even had time to post and having a really good team doing it. And there were just some times that there were some misses, but it was in my name. And so we put the controls in place, you know, everything has to come through me, everything before it gets posted, I at least have to take a look at it, uh, just, you know, briefly to say it. And, uh, and then we also started doing once I was more normalized with my, my travel schedule, we started having times that we'd sit down and figure out what was going to be put out that day. So it was actually me putting it together with a team as opposed to a team putting it together in my name, and me just looking at it and saying, Yeah, that looks fine. Uh, And now like 99% of what you see is from me. Um, it's all entire, almost, entire. I still have a, a volunteer team, but at this point, what they're doing is they're just sending me subjects and maybe giving a brief, uh, breakdown of what it is. And if I find it interesting, I look more into it and, and write out my kind of hot take response to it. Um, and that seems to be working pretty well. Right. And your takes, I think are very, very digestible and very, very well written. Um, every time you have a uh, post on Facebook that kind of goes into detail on something going on, I always think you're spot on. And I think most libertarians would agree that you are spot on. Obviously, you're going to have some crazies either way, of course. Um, (laughs) So I guess continuing on down this uh, Liberty Road, there's been a divide, perhaps more so even after last year than this year in the Libertarian Party. Um, Yeah. What is Spike's answer to our seeming divide in the Libertarian Party? Because I think that we're all pretty close together and we agree on probably 99, 95% of stuff, but it seems like people are torn between this messaging versus getting people elected. And in my mind, I think you could have both, but it, it seems like there's just such a fight about it. Not only can you have both, you have to have both. There is no such thing as uh, uh, unrelatable uh, milk toast, and there's no mm-hmm. such thing as unrelatable bold effectiveness. Like you, you have to be someone people actually want to hear anything from, and you have to present things in a way that actually connects with them. But you also have to give them a, a clear alternative, especially when your your likelihood of winning is lower than your opponents. If you go in and say, you know, those Republicans and Democrats, we're the best part of both. We're kind of like them, except it's marginally better. And we certainly wouldn't say anything that offends you. People might like us more. We might get really high ratings in terms of which party do I like the best. But then they look at us and they're like, all right, well, if you're 20% better and your likelihood of winning is, you know, a, you know, a 15th of what this party or this party are. And, you know, I still think this one's the lesser evil or this one's the lesser evil. 99 times out of 100, they're going to pull that lever for the lesser evil or certainly nine times out of 10. Um, So, yes, that's a false dichotomy that's been in this party for way too long. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, we agree probably at least 90 percent of the time. And that 10 percent or less of things we disagree on are important things. I'm not discounting it, but that's not the real problem. The problem is twofold. The first problem is that we are looking to do this the wrong way. And the second problem is no one's really provided a good blueprint on how to do what we even want to do. So the Libertarian Party is a committee that is set up to comply with federal election commission laws. That's it. Now, it's a good thing 
it's a good thing to have because we can't run candidates for office at the federal or state or local level if we don't have that apparatus in place at the federal and state and local level level to run candidates. Thanks to Republicans and Democrats passing these ballot mm-hmm. access laws. And by the way, that's the reason why we're often the only, you know, only the we're the only of the three options. There is no fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth option is because we're one of the few people that actually has all of that in place to be the third uh, party on there, to be another party that's on there. But we keep waiting for this committee that was set up to comply with federal law and these smaller committees that were set up to comply with state law to lead us to victory. And the reality is that's not what they were set up to do. You know, this constant factionalism of is this caucus in charge? Is this caucus in charge? Is this type of messaging in charge of the party? Is this type of messaging in charge of the party? It's kind of like a fight. It's like, it's sort of like Lord of the Rings, the epic battles in Lord of the Rings over the ring of power and who wielded it. Except imagine if the, the fights are like pillow fights with people that are wearing helmets and the ring that they're fighting over is made out of used Pillsbury toaster strudel uh, wrappers. And it, it doesn't like, uh, it, you know, it doesn't have any actual power. Everyone just wants to look at it, say they have it. It's like, you know, possums fighting over a dumpster. Like it, it's, it's terrible mm-hmm. because they're so focused on who's in control. They're not even looking back and saying, this isn't the vehicle to do what we want to do, which is spark a cultural revolution that leads to people getting elected. This is just the apparatus we use to run people for office, number one. And then number two, we don't actually set a blueprint for how to do that. And that's why I have, I'm going to be launching very soon, later this month, I'm going to be launching an organization that does exactly that. And I, I'm going to give you a very brief preview on it that I've just started doing in the last week or so. Um, basically, we're going to address all of that. We're going to address the fact that there uh, is not a, uh, that we're focusing way too much on the electoral pol- political end and on using a political party to do it and not on changing things at the community level, getting people bought into the ideas of liberty by showing them how it works better. And then we're also going to deal with the fact that no one's actually set a blueprint by setting the blueprint. And the blueprint is you. The blueprint is you becoming a member of this organization, having access to the resources and the the tools and the directories of of, uh, coalition groups you can build at your disposal, and then giving you the tools to work together to actually be the, the, and I hate to say be the change, but Mm -hmm. be the leader in your community. Be the people in your community who look at the problems that your city, your town, your neighborhood, your state, your country is facing and provide a viable alternative and then give legislative goals to your city councils, county councils, state legislatures for them to actually pass. And if they do pass it, use that to push for your candidates to get in to do even more. And if they don't pass it, use that to push for your candidates to come in so that it'll actually get passed. Um, and you know, again, there's going to be way more details on this, but we're basically, I, I, when I got into this movement, I did so as someone who has been building and correcting and growing organizations for, uh, over 20 years now. And I saw, I, I was somewhat removed. I've been a libertarian for many years, but I was removed from the, the party culture. And when I got in, I immediately, I didn't have the passionate, uh, um, and emotional ties to the different factions and groups. Um, and so I looked in and I saw, essentially, I saw what the problems were from sort of a dispassionate, almost uninterested point. And I saw 
the just the glaring organizational organizational structural issues that were in place and the biggest one that keeps becoming more glaring is we're looking to the wrong people the wrong organization to do to do it in the first place no one is using the republican party or the democrat party to affect the culture they're using them to run candidates after they've already used media and entertainment and community involvement to change the culture their way. And we have to do the same thing that the mm -hmm. LP needs to become where we put candidates. It, it need not be the LP. It needs to be the Liberty movement. And that's what we're going to be building. That's awesome. And I'm uh, very, very glad to hear that. Um, one of the main reasons why I started this podcast is because I wanted to spread the message of Liberty and health. Um, you know, I feel it's very important that we're not just people going re in the corner because of the state. You know, we need to be yes. a movement of actual people who do other things other than just read Rothbard in our houses and scream because the government's violating our rights. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. so, you know, I'm a musician. I'm an exercise enthusiast. I'm now a podcast host. Um, no. Yeah, I hope to be a father one day. I hope to be a business owner. You know, these things are important and it shows that we're not just, you know, Republicans who like to smoke weed or, you know, Democrats who like guns, you know, whatever right. you want to say. Um, I know you're tight on time, so we only got a few minutes. There's sure. kind of three questions I wanted to run past sure, sure. you. Um, okay. And these are going to be kind of what you would do. So how would you appeal to boomer cons, essentially people who are saying China's going to take over the world and... Um, the election was stolen off of Donald J. Trump and Donald yeah. J. Trump, if he was just in the White House, we wouldn't have these lockdowns, we wouldn't have these mandates, you know, yeah, yeah. we'd be flying down a golden road with golden toilets in our bathrooms. Um, how do you appeal to those people to bring them over more towards our side? So first of all, statistically, the older someone is, the more set in their ways they are. And it's both because of just a, a tremendous amount of experience they've had, which leads them to think that, you know, they know better than, than, you know, someone telling them something new, but also there's actual neurological changes that happen as you get older, mm -hmm. um, compared to when you're younger and your brain's still developing and you're still developing your ideas. So just the older someone is, and again, this is statistically, you can find incredibly open-minded old people yeah. and very rigid young people, but just overall, old people are typically the older someone is, the less likely they are to, to change ideas. What I do with, you know, boomer cons in specific, specific you know, the FUDs of the community. Um, what I typically do is, you know, if someone's talking to me from a standpoint of I'm a conservative, well, I know that their concerns, or at least their perceived concerns, are government interference, uh, telling them how to live their life, not others. They're okay with them telling others how to live their life. And that's a big part of the problem is that we, we have a hard disconnect <laughs> there. But yeah. how they live their life, um, and they are tied to uh, uh, very vague, often vague ideas of limited government and, and you know, mm -hmm. small taxes and returning to the way things were when things were great, which they typically were not. But they, but they, they have these ideas. Rather than try to disabuse them of these ideas, I just talk to them from their standpoint. I say something like if they're talking about, you know, Trump was great with the lockdowns. I say the lockdowns happened under Trump and he said they were bad. That's great that he said they were bad, but he still fully funded those states with infrastructural mm -hmm. spending, security spending, counterterrorism spending, all of that stuff. Not once did he threaten to cut it off. And in fact, he actually gave uh, the governor of Georgia, uh, Kemp, a hard time when mm -hmm. he didn't do lockdowns. He actually yep. gave him a hard time over that because he and didn't Kemp, but yeah. And, and what? Uh, and he knocked Sweden for not locking down. Yeah, and he knocked Sweden for not locking down too. Mm -hmm. More importantly, it was his CDC 
Mm-hmm. That was laying down the groundwork. The Trump administration CDC was laying down the groundwork, these scientific guidelines for when states should or should not implement lockdowns and if and how they should do them and to what extent and what markers they should be using when they choose to you know do different lockdown implementations and so forth. All of that was created or, or, or implemented by the Trump administration. And he kept saying on Twitter how bad it was and at his campaign rallies, he kept saying how bad it was. He did nothing to actually stop it. Mm -hmm. And I say the same thing about gun control. Who's the guy who said, take the guns first, due process later? Who's the one who pushed Mm -hmm. for red flag laws? Who's the one who, who, you know, pushed for, uh, you know, a hearing aid, you know, suppressor uh, bans and and, and bump stock bans, which I mean, that was like a gimmick. It's a virtue signal. Who did this? Donald yeah. Trump did it. So I don't try to say Donald Trump, you know, is 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 a bad person because he wants to tell other people how to live their life. They're like, good. I don't like how they're living their life. And you can't get there with them until you recognize that there he was also crapping all over you and laughing in your face about it. So my thing with boomer cons is I appeal more to their sense of indignation by saying you got lied to by the Republicans, too. And, and that's that's I've found. And again, it's not going to work with everyone, mm-hmm. but it certainly gets them to at least go, well, yeah, but they're better than the Democrats. Are they? <laughs> they got your vote and then did the same thing. But let's say they're better than the Democrats. Is that enough for you? Is being marginally better than Kamala Harris better? Good for you? Is that you're willing? That's that's you, you talk about. You're going to limit government. You're going to make a better future for our kids. Are we going to make America great again by being marginally better than Kamala Harris? That's how I do it. Yeah. Um, One quick question. Um, I know I know you had two more. We can go ahead and do those. Okay. cool, cool. Um, How would you appeal to people who are hot on vaccine mandates and think that we need to do vaccine mandates? That that'll be uh, my last question. I got one short one after this that you can answer probably two seconds. So, uh, yeah. How do you appeal to people who are crazy about the vaccine mandates? Well, first of all, what I don't typically do, unless I can have a longer conversation with them, is talk to them about the effectiveness of the vaccine, because many of them are just utterly convinced that if you get the vaccine, you're just not going to get COVID and you're not going to get sick. And, you know, all the examples to the contrary are outliers. And if you, you try to talk to them about how it's like a personal choice, if, if you know you can still get it and spread it, that doesn't change. But it's just a matter of whether or not you end up in the hospital or not uh, or end up sick or not. Uh, that you you need that you know that makes it a personal choice for yourself. They either don't believe that or they go, yeah, but you're getting sick. Uh, you know, makes you, you put strains on the hospital system. Which if you wanted to have, which was I reserve this for longer conversations. Okay, so mm-hmm. where's your indignation for obese people and people who smoke and people who drink? Because they're way more likely to end up in the hospital than someone who's unvaccinated. But I don't typically do that in short burst conversations. Instead, sure. I focus on the fact that the countries that have had the highest rates of vaccination are the ones who were the most open right off the bat with expectations about the vaccine. Long before uh, uh, Scandinavian countries and Israel started introducing, you know, any kind of mandates to try to, you know, stop, get, bring in those, those handful of people that didn't get vaccinated, which, by the way, didn't typically work. The way that they got the higher rates of vaccination was that they were completely open and honest with what they were talking about. They didn't say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. They didn't say we're losing our patience with you. They didn't say we're going to destroy your life if you don't get vaccinated. They said, if you take this vaccine, you are exponentially less likely to end up in the hospital or dead. And there's also at least an increased likelihood that you won't get it. That's it. That's and it's free. 
That's what they told them. And that hmm. was enough to get vaccination rates around 70%. And I would argue that if that is what they had said from day one and insured people, we're not going to make you do this. Here is what it does and what it doesn't do. There's a possibility it at least reduces your chances of getting or spreading it. Uh, and yes, there is a possibility that you may have to get boosters in the future because that was the other thing they lied about. Oh, you just take it once. Uh, you take or you get you get your your double dose or your one dose of Johnson and Johnson, and then you just uh, uh, you know you get it and that's it and that's the end of it. And then you can take your mask off. Oh, actually, you got to put your mask back on. Actually, you got to keep getting dose so, uh, vaccine uh, every few months. Oh, also, we're going to take your job if you don't do it. They are in if they wanted to create division and political division and resistance to something that is actually probably a good idea for most people. If they wanted to do it, they couldn't have engineered it better. That's what I focus on is let's try to if, if the goal is to get as many people who should get vaccinated, vaccinated as possible. They did it in the worst way possible. Right. Um, I said on the second podcast with Adam Nutter that only a government could really fuck up the vaccines as much as they have. They're and, free. They're yeah. literally giving them out. <laughs> They're literally giving them out. In some cases, some states are giving you money and lottery tickets if you if you and get donuts. it. And, and donuts and Chick-fil-A. They're giving <laughs> like here's all the stuff in the world. And enough people are like, you know, you've been so shady about this from the beginning. I don't want to take it. Like, and no, and yeah, I guess I'll lose my job. I'm not taking it. I don't like how you're acting. If they had just been upfront from the beginning, I guarantee you we'd be over 70% now. Not that that would stop the spread of COVID because that's the other thing. And I, this, I don't do this with, with people that want high vaccination, but we need to start having the conversation. This is not a pandemic. It's an endemic. It is not going mm -hmm. away. The COVID waves are just as part of our new normal as uh, cold and flu season are. It's not going away anytime soon until we have like gene therapies and stuff like that, which probably are a few years away. But in the meantime, it's not going away. It's not going away. Disease is not going away. And we have to decide how do we want to live our lives for the rest of our lives. And I think most people who are just going along with this stuff until COVID's over, when they recognize that's not a thing, we're going to have more people on our side saying, no, I don't think people should have to get endless boosters uh, to be able to keep their job or to be able to go into a restaurant or a gym. And no, I don't think we should all, we should have to wear masks for the rest of our lives. No, I don't think we should play red light, green light with the economy and cause all these massive distortions right. to the supply chain and everything else, um, you know, it, because it's not going anywhere. I think we'd get more people on our side with that. And I know you have one more question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just to kind of tag on to the end of that. Um, yeah. I, I think what you get after two presidents pushing the vaccine as hard as they did and trying to rush it out as quick as possible is just a mildly effective vaccine that kind of helps in some people and may not help in others. It's but, you know, you hear these conspiracies that, you know, you take the vaccine, it's birth control, it's population control, it's whatever, you know, yeah, it's going to kill I, everybody. I don't. I don't yeah, yeah. It, it's just it, it's not that, you know. It ain't that grand. It's just government incompetence. So I guess my last question before you get out of here, when are you coming back to Pittsburgh? Oh, man. I You know, I haven't actually campaigned in Pittsburgh. I've been near mm -hmm. it, but I haven't done it yet. I want to come to Pittsburgh. The short answer is, you know how to reach me. You know how to how to get in touch with my my booking people. You know, uh -huh. try to set, set an event up. Every time I'm going to these different things, uh, as we're while we're still waiting to create the organ or while we're still finishing up creating the organization, all these things I'm going to are state and local affiliates and other groups like Concerned Veterans for America, mm -hmm. uh, a group down in, in Florida called uh, Women's Voices of Southwest Florida. They're reaching okay. out to me and saying, "Hey, we're making this event or we're having you do this thing. Can you come out and do it?" If you guys, if if you're you're in Westmoreland County, yes. 
if Westmoreland County LP and or the uh, Pennsylvania Libertarian Party and or any of the other, you know, uh, local affiliates want to put something, you know, impactful together, you know, pitch it to, to my booking team. I'll come out. We'll, we'll, we'll book a time. I, you do have to book me a few months out, oh, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'd be happy to come out. I actually haven't, I want to do something in Pittsburgh. I want to do something in Philly too. I haven't, the two biggest mm -hmm. cities in, in Pennsylvania, I haven't done anything there. So I'd be happy to. Okay. Awesome. Well, there is a barbecue restaurant in Monroeville. They do not have smoked salmon. I will apologize. <laughs> okay. They do have the best brisket and the best ribs you'll ever have in your entire life. And I've been okay. all over this side of the country, up and down, Kentucky, you name it. Just have not seen better barbecue. So if you're in Pittsburgh and you're around, I'll hook you up. So um, I kept you a little I'm, bit I'm on a, So ahead. unfortunately, I'm on a pescatarian diet. But if you bring my wife too, she can enjoy the brisket and, and, and ribs and tell me how it is. <laughs> um, but no, I'd be, I would love, I guarantee you there are so many great uh, 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 fishmongers and delis uh, that have mm -hmm. smoked salmon in, in Pittsburgh. I, you don't have to sell me on going to Pittsburgh. I'd be happy to go to Pittsburgh. Nice. Awesome. Well, I think I'll have to... Uh talk to my local affiliate and some of the other ones and see if we could get cool. something set up because I'm sure they would all love to have an event where you uh, came and spoke. And especially with this new initiative you got going on, um, that'd be awesome. So I kept you a little bit longer than you would have wanted. So I'll apologize for that. Um, I greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast, Absolutely, Spike. Um, go ahead, I'm plug your stuff and we'll rock and roll. I'm Spike Cohen on all social media, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I'm on TikTok for the kids. Um, spikecohen.com is where you can see uh, my, my newest uh, media appearances. Um, you can also uh, see my events. All my upcoming events are listed out there on spikecohen.com. I have a podcast uh, called, uh, I actually have two podcasts, The Muddy Waters of Freedom and My Fellow Americans. They're live on Tuesday and Wednesday nights on all social media platforms. Uh, there's also a podcast version on all podcast platforms. That's on Muddied Waters Media. You can find that on all uh, social media and podcasting platforms or on muddiedwatersmedia.com. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk, Kyle. Thanks for having me on, man. Of course. And thank you, Spike. So in Liberty and Health, everybody, um, with Spike Cohen, thanks everybody for tuning in. And until next time, take care.